Tonight's reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 29 to 36. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Happy Easter to everybody. And uh, if you're feeling anything like me, you may feel it's been quite a long weekend. If you're a musician in this church, especially if you're a director of music, I think you're wilting uh, by this stage. But uh, it's been a great weekend. And I hope that just for these few minutes, we can kind of um, just rejoice and um, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus afresh. Uh, I don't want so much to uh, engage in a long and detailed sermon as to try and take you on a journey, the journey that uh, Peter, whose first Christian sermon, some of which we just heard Joe read to you, the journey that Peter must have gone on from the time when he first encountered Jesus to being able confidently uh, to proclaim uh, that message, the message of resurrection, and in due course to write two letters confirming how the resurrection of Jesus had changed his life. So we're going to go on a bit of a journey uh, with the Apostle Peter. And if you're anything to do with Sago or Discuss, who have had to have me as their speaker on their away weekends, you'll know that I'm very keen on the Apostle Peter. And uh, since getting back from holiday on Thursday, I've been really enjoying uh, looking afresh at how his pathway to faith uh, worked out. So let's just pray that we can learn from Peter's journey as we travel on our own. Father, we thank you. Uh, for the astonishing transformation that occurred in this Galilean fisherman who changed from being that uh, hesitant, um, reluctant disciple, kind of dragged into it by his brother Andrew, uh, to the powerful proclaimer at the risk of his own life on the day of Pentecost that Jesus had been raised to life. What an amazing change. And we also recognize that we too are on a journey and that you are working a transformation in us. Uh, Sometimes we seem to take a step forward, sometimes we seem to take two steps back, but always we know, because the gospel is true, that this work of transformation is going on. And I pray that you would encourage us to be conformed uh, to what you want us to be uh, as we look at the scriptures tonight. Amen. So, I want you to... um, Uh, Well, two things really struck me. I've preached two sermons today. I've had to preach the sermon this evening on Acts chapter 2, and I've also preached at 8 o'clock this morning on Acts chapter 10. You might just like to turn to Acts chapter 10, because I'd never noticed until I prepared these two sermons how strikingly similar 
the two passages are. I'm just going to uh, read Acts chapter 10 uh, from verse 34. Uh, The first passage that Joe read is the first Christian sermon, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. This is Peter in the house of the Gentile Roman centurion Cornelius, preaching to a small group in a home, not the thousands gathered in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. But I want you to notice uh, six similarities, and I'm going to pull those out of the story in a moment. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, I don't really mind whether you keep a finger in Acts chapter 10 or Acts chapter 2, and we're going to dip around uh, a a few of other of Peter's writings and one or two other Bible verses. But I think you'll see, and I hope you'll agree with me, that the six things, the the six experiences or six processes that occur in David's life are in both uh, sermons, one to the thousands and the other to a small group, and they explain how Peter came to see that the resurrection of Jesus is true. And not only true for him, but objectively true and the central point in human history, the crucial event. The first thing that I noticed as I looked at this was that he built his understanding of what had happened, the extraordinary events that he witnessed, on his religious background. In both the uh, passage in Acts chapter 2, which he exp- where he expressly quotes large sections of the Old Testament, and here in Acts chapter 10, where he refers to the prophets, both at the beginning of his short address and at the end, uh, he builds his understanding of Jesus on the Old Testament. Jesus, so to speak, strides out of the, of the pages of the Old Testament. You see, it's really important for us to understand when we're celebrating the resurrection that Christianity is not an invented new cult. It's not some new religion that some came, some, some, somehow came into existence in an extraordinary way in the first century and was like lots of other cults that come and go throughout history. No, Christianity is a continuum from the Old Testament. Indeed, it's right from the creation story itself, as we shall see in a moment. But Peter understood that. In his second letter, he says that the word of the prophets, that's the Old Testament prophets, has been made more certain in Jesus. He saw that Jesus is part of the biblical story, in in fact, is the climax 
of the biblical story, and it's crucial as his starting point. He was, of course, uh, a relatively uneducated, um, small businessman in Galilee with a fishing business, uh, not really a professionally religious person at all, although no doubt he had been to the synagogue and was steeped in the Pentateuch, the first five uh, books of the uh, Old Testament. He clearly knew the story of David. We know that from Acts chapter 2, was very familiar with that, and he knew the writings of the prophets. And these things informed him as he thought about Jesus, and they should inform us too. We shouldn't ignore all that precedes Jesus in the Revelation. It's crucial to our understanding of what happens uh, around the events of the resurrection. So that's the first point that I would make, that Peter builds his understanding of who Jesus is on what he has already learnt from uh, the Old Testament. The second thing that clearly comes out in the sermon and in the little talk in Cornelius' house is that he observed the life of the man Jesus of Nazareth. He observed him carefully and he saw that he was an extraordinary and unique individual. Most people think that Mark's gospel is uh, sourced mainly by Peter, that Peter is uh, uh, the one to whom uh, Mark went, and uh, many of the stories in Mark's gospel seem to reflect uh, Peter's input. And if you look closely at Mark's uh, gospel, first eight chapters leading up to the remarkable moment on the road to Caesarea Philippi where Jesus turns to the disciples and says, who do men say that I am? And they come up with various answers, and then he says to Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Uh, If you look carefully at Mark's uh, gospel, you'll see that in those first eight chapters, what is revealed is that Peter observes Jesus controlling, by his divine power, all the things that controlled Peter. He forgave sin. He raised people from the dead. He controlled the weather. He multiplied food. He healed the sick. He even healed Peter's mother-in-law. Mixed blessing, perhaps, but he did. And Peter was there, and he saw that that uh, extraordinary power was being demonstrated uh, far, far more than he could possibly do himself. And here in these two talks, he points to that, that God has evidenced himself in the remarkable life of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Secondly, as he lived with Jesus... Uh, for three years and walked with him and observed him and saw how he treated people, he saw not only that Jesus' power was divine, but that his character was good beyond anything that he had experienced before. It's particularly spelt out, I suppose, in, uh, in Acts chapter uh, 10, where he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. Perhaps the, the, the climax of that comes in John chapter 13, a passage we looked at as this weekend began at our Monday Thursday evening, where Jesus uh, offers to wash the disciples' feet. An extraordinary act of abasement. And at that moment of climax, just before Jesus is going out to the Garden of Gethsemane to be arrested, Peter objects, saying, no, you are Lord and God. You shouldn't wash my feet. I should, I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. 
And Peter said, well, wash everything, then wash everything. And Jesus laughs and says, no, no, you don't need that because uh, what I'm doing for you is cleaning you inside. I'm cleaning you up inside. And in this extraordinary conversation, what is revealed is a very close friendship. Jesus says, I'm not going to call you servants anymore. You're my friends. You're my friends. And this uh, rough fisherman, tough fisherman who jumped into things all the time and made mistakes all the time and put his foot in it the whole time, he thought, my goodness me, this man really cares about me. This chap really cares about me. He observed the character of Jesus. There was an extraordinary incident when a rich young ruler came to Jesus and came up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. And Peter had concluded, Jesus is good. He's so good that he must be God. That was a crucial part of his development. That's the third thing. So he built on his Old Testament understanding. He observed the power of Jesus, his divine power at work, and he saw that his character was authentic, that he was genuine, that he was good, good enough to be God. Fourthly, of course, he witnessed uh, the crucifixion. He witnessed the crucifixion in a terrible state of collapse and defeat. Uh, You will all be very familiar with the fact that uh, at the Last Supper, Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him three times before the cock crows. And we know because the uh, New Testament writers tell us with great frankness, there's no, um, there's no apology for Peter in the New Testament. We see him warts and all. Uh, we see that he did deny Christ, even to powerless people, servant girls uh, in the, at the trial. He was he was afraid to stand up for Jesus. So he observes the crucifixion as a sniveling wreck of a man, a broken man, completely in despair with himself. And this is what he wrote in his letter when he uh, thought years later about what he had witnessed on the cross. Two things really come out of the first letter which strike me as quite extraordinary thing for him to write. For you know, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. Building on his Old Testament understanding of the sacrificial system, he had came to see that the incredibly insignificant death of Jesus and two other thieves outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, a little hiccup in history, something that would pass by almost unnoticed in the Roman Empire, that this was the ransom price being paid for your sin and for mine. That this was the sacrificial system of the Old Testament being fulfilled. It was never going to be necessary to sacrifice lambs or bulls or anything else again because the once for all sacrifice had been made. And when he observed the crucifixion, this is what he saw. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. 
when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Those are the words of this simple, uneducated Galilean fisherman. A remarkable transformation has occurred. He observed, he witnessed the crucifixion of Christ, and as he studied scripture and as he thought about it over the years, as he tried to make sense of Paul's writings, which he found very difficult, which I find very encouraging, he gradually came to see that this was crucial for forgiveness, that this changed everything. So fourthly, he witnessed the crucifixion. Fifthly, he experienced and uh, he experienced and he saw, both are very important words, he both experienced and saw the risen Christ. Comes out in both these uh, passages that we've looked at from Acts and he spells it out Uh, very plainly in his letter as well, again and again, that the resurrection was something that he experienced, that he witnessed, that he saw. He was there. He was one of those who ran to the tomb. He was there in the upper room. He was there on the beach when Jesus appeared to them. He experienced and saw the risen Christ. What an amazing and extraordinary thing that must be. I am... had a quick flick through the Times yesterday and came upon an article by John Polkinghorne. John Polkinghorne is the, well, it says what he is here. He sounds terribly grand. The Reverend Canon John Polkinghorne, KBE, FRS, Professor of Mathematical Physics at Cambridge. And uh, so he's quite a bright chap. In fact, he's a very bright chap. And he's also what's uh, known as one of the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury's six preachers. And I know him in that capacity because, believe it or not, I'm one of those as well. And uh, in this article in the Times, this is what this extremely bright scientist uh, says in arguing for the reasonableness of belief in the resurrection of Jesus, the very thing that Peter said he saw happened. I'm going to read a little bit of this because it's interesting. Some of you may have seen it in the paper yesterday. Yet we have all heard of Jesus, and he has been a powerfully influential figure for 2,000 years. Something happened to continue his story. All the writers of the New Testament believe that what happened was his resurrection from the dead that first Easter day. Can we today believe this strange, counterintuitive claim? Looking for the motivations for this belief requires a careful and scrupulous assessment of the evidence. Remember, he's a scientist. Here I can do no more than sketch the considerations that persuade me to bet my life on accepting the claim. The belief that within history a man should rise from death to lead a life of unending glory would have seemed as strange in the first century as it does to us today. Many Jews believed that at the end of history the dead would be raised (coughs) and and there were stories of people who had emerged from apparent death for a further spell of life before finally dying, Lazarus, for instance. But that was resuscitation, not absolute resurrection. The claim that Jesus is a living Lord is quite different. The New Testament offers two lines of evidence. One line is the appearance stories, 
strangely varied, yet with a surprisingly persistent theme, then initially it was hard to recognize the risen Christ. I believe that this is a genuine historical reminiscence, indicating that these are not just a bunch of made-up tales constructed by a variety of early Christians. Then there are the empty tomb stories. If these were just concocted, why make women the discoverers when they were regarded as unreliable witnesses in the ancient world? How things have changed. Gladly, there is much more that needs to be said. Clearly, there is much more that needs to be said. But I hope I've said enough to show that a scientist, open to unexpected beliefs, but stringent in demanding adequate motivation for them, can believe in the resurrection of Jesus, the fundamental pivot on which Christian belief turns. If you want to look uh, to think a little bit further, Uh, about the evidence for the resurrection, I can do no better than to encourage you to download Michael Green's sermon from the 1115 service this morning, which was a wonderfully clear and passionate defense of the evidence for the resurrection. The fifth signpost on, on Peter's journey to absolute convinced faith is, of course, his experience of the risen Christ. So we've got five signposts, his Old Testament understanding, his observation of the power of Jesus at work, controlling what he could not control, the quality of Jesus' life, his good character, his, uh, his uh, understanding of what happened when Jesus died on the cross as the ransom price for sin, and his experience of the resurrection. And lastly, and crucially, in, for us living now, in this life, uh, day by day, struggling uh, to follow Christ. On our journey, crucially, sixthly, Peter knew the reality of sin forgiven. It's something that uh, radiates from a a huge amount of his writings because he's so aware of his fallibility. But, of course, the most uh, powerful moment for it is his own experience with Jesus uh, on the uh, shore, which is described for us in John chapter 21. I've already mentioned that three times uh, Jesus, uh, Peter denied Jesus just as uh, Jesus had predicted. And he lived with this terrible sense of failure, this terrible sense that whatever he did, whatever he believed, at the crucial moment, He had let down his Lord. And I believe that many of us struggle in the Christian faith with that same burden. We simply think we're not good enough. We failed again and again at the crucial moment. What what hope can there be for us when our Christian lives are such a disappointment to us? How disappointed God must be with us. How disappointed Jesus, the risen Jesus, must be with me, Peter must have thought as he saw him again and again. You see, he was beginning to understand it all, but he was also beginning to understand himself. I'm useless. I'm useless. I'm not worthy of this wonderful Lord who can't even be held by death. And then Jesus meets him on the seashore. This man who he had selected to be the leader of the church. Yes, he has selected each one of us here uh, this evening to be his followers. He had picked him out, as he has picked out you, 
and as he has picked out me with all our flaws. And he looked at Peter on the seashore and he said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Not, Peter, you denied me. Peter, you denied me. Peter, you denied me. That's what we do. That's what we do to one another. We hammer the nails into each other. But that's not how Jesus treated Peter. Do you love me? And Peter really loved Jesus. He just was useless at doing it. Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. In that case, you can do a job for me, says Jesus. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You see, what Peter had come to see sixthly, the sixth crucial, crucial, crucial signpost, is that Jesus forgives. That Jesus forgives. Just turn back to Acts chapter 2 as I close uh, this sermon. Look at the end of the, uh, of the sermon. Let all Israel be assured, verse 36, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, I think you better do what I did. You better do what I did. This had never happened before. He had never preached a sermon before. This is a complete panic moment when he's preaching to a load of unconverted people and they all say they want to become Christians. He hasn't a clue what to do. He thinks, well, what did I do? What did I do? Because I was such a failure. I denied him three times. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you as it was for me and for your children and for your children's children and for everybody who's living in North Oxford in 2009. The promise is for you, for those who are far off. Repent. Turn away from thinking you can manage things on your own. You've got it all sussed. Turn away from that and recognize that in Jesus, history's been fulfilled. In history, power of God has been revealed. In Jesus, a quality of life has stepped on this planet that will never be equaled again. In Jesus, the price for sin has been paid. The curse has been lifted from mankind. In Jesus, death has been defeated. And in Jesus, forgiveness is offered to us all. He says, receive it. Receive it. Don't say no to it any longer. And you can be transformed. Well, it's a gl- there are six glorious signposts. And in a sense, all of us on our journey, if we're going to journey right through our lives in the uh, Christian faith, will at some stage journey past those signposts. We'll need to understand the context of our faith. We'll need to recognize the divinity of Jesus. We'll need to fall in love afresh with his character and his goodness. We'll need to know that the cross is the only way in which our sin can be dealt with. We'll need to know that the resurrection is true in history and in our experience and we will need on a daily basis to receive his forgiveness if you do come by those signposts heaven will be a short step for you when you're on your deathbed a very short step for you indeed because you will have been led by the spirit of God to the doorway of heaven so if you're an unbeliever this evening 
if you're not sure if you've really surrendered to Christ, let me urge you on the basis of Peter's first sermon to repent and believe the gospel tonight on Easter Day 2009. And if, as most of you are, I suspect, already believers, well aware that this resurrection story is true, let me share with you Peter's last recorded uh, written words in his second letter. He says this in his last letter. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of lawless men and fall from your secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. For those of us who are not yet converted, tonight on the basis of God's word, I say get converted as soon as you possibly can. And if you are converted, as Peter truly was, grow in knowledge and grace of God. Maybe that be true for us as individuals and as a community. Amen.